I can't remember a time in history when social media engagement was so competitive. It seems that everyone is looking for that magic piece of content that will create the thumb stop. And that is a real term. It's where you get the consumer to stop scrolling to read your content. Brands are hungry to do it and consumers are hungry to be challenged, which is why we have joining us this week, Rob Illich, on how to get people's thumb stopping during their social media scrolling. We're making conversations about social scrolling count. What's new, Wendy Wu? Well, thanks to you lovely listeners, we've been charting in the UK, in India and Romania. I've also discovered that there's such a thing as stories on Spotify. If anybody wants to explain that to me, I'm all ears. And now it's time for a tongue twister as we talk about scroll-stopping social media with Rob Illich. I challenge you to say that. And let's find out what his turning point conversation was, as we make conversations about social scrolling count. For me, when I saw what you did, and it's kind of like social media plays such a massive part in what we do. Yes, It is the online conversations of our life now. And I think what particularly struck me was your strapline of we don't deliver social, we define it. And from that made me go, well, this is where a lot of people get it wrong because they feel they've got to play the game that everybody else is playing. When in actual fact, it is about you carving out your own lane, your own conversation so that it's only ever going to be relevant to you and who you want to be speaking to. Yeah, absolutely. So I was like, (laughs) applauding, going, I've got to speak to Rob because (laughs) this is what people need to know is that you can do things the way that you want to do things. You know, you don't have to, to follow everybody else. It's that black sheep or the flamingo in the flock or whatever you want to call it, it's about standing out in the crowd, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. We call it thumb stopping or call it scroll stopping. You know, the attention spans now, especially for younger users, so much shorter than ours. It's grabbing that attention quicker than we ever used to and and being able to do that and stop someone's kind of thumb from going down that, that page. Yeah. And it's getting harder when the platforms change so quickly on us. I thought I'd just got into a rhythm with LinkedIn. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, what a mistake that was. (laughs) Don't ever feel secure in in what it is that you're doing because then they go change everything and you go, well, where's everybody gone? We literally have one person within the company who their job is to basically just keep on top of everything and almost be educate us as well because some people will be doing certain things and they'll kind of, they'll understand their area, but they won't understand maybe what else is going on. They're in their kind of own bubble, I guess. And that's the only reason we do social media because I can't imagine trying to do us trying to do lots of other things, so like building websites or SEO, whatever it may be. Because 
literally as we're talking now, something else will be getting tested or rolled out. And a lot of people say it's a full-time job, and obviously it is because you have so many agencies. So when you started out, was it just you on your own or did you, you know, partner up with somebody? How did your journey start? It's an interesting question because I see these agencies and businesses with lots of co-founders and that to me is like a dream. I think, oh God, I wish it was two of me, you know, I'm not actually that much grey hair, but I'd be a lot less stressed or would have been. I didn't really have a business partner, so I just did everything on my own and I'm kind of resilient in that way and stubborn, I guess. Yeah, maybe stubborn that I actually just decided I'm going to do it myself. I left obviously a full-time role, which is the biggest kind of Security uh, blanket gone. Yeah. And I kind of left my job on the Friday and celebrated, you know, a couple of drinks over the weekend. And then Monday came and I thought, oh God, I, you know, I've got to pay the rent at the end of the month. And I spent all my money going on holidays and, you know, like you do, you live beyond your means and all that sort of stuff. The reality um, kicked in. You, yeah. So basically, I don't know if you've seen the film, The Pursuit of Happiness. Yes. There's a, a scene where he's competing to win this job and he has to call lots of different people. And I basically did the same sort of thing where I made a list of lots of people I, I thought I could call, you know, do you need social media services? And it does hurt your ego a little bit when you got to call people and ask for work. Yeah, I'm nearly at 2 million calls now, Rob. So yeah, I know how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, in, it's an interesting process. So I started with people I didn't know very well at the top and people I knew really well at the bottom. And just kind of worked all day ringing these people, obviously a lot easier than in the, in the movie because we've got mobile phones. But as I kind of got down towards the bottom of this list towards the end of the day, A, panic was setting in, even though it was like day one. And B, you kind of have to throw your ego and pride out the window at that point because you're starting to bring people, you know, you know, ex-bosses or close friends. And almost, it's like not asking them for money, but it's almost like, give me a shot, give me a chance. And I was quite lucky that by the end of the day, you know, picked up our, our first client and, uh, who you know was one of my old bosses my very first boss actually she'd left to start a charity and interestingly we've actually kind of carried that through in that we work with a lot of non-profit organizations and um, globally now and those are the sort of campaigns that we really kind of get the most out of i guess and uh, we feel like we're giving something back it's the just, social impact you know, selling a pair of, yeah, yeah it's that and yeah. our teams generally you know work really well with charities i think it takes a particular type of person to work for a charity so you generally have a good working relationship it it works well so yeah I went from there so first day first client just me I try and do everything myself so if I get like a plumber that comes around I'll watch him to see what he's doing just in case I ever need to do it and I like to just learn new stuff so built a website you know that kind of make the company look huge sort of thing you know on day one I did have a lot of experience you know previously worked on social campaigns for different brands. So I did have that experience. And then it just kind of snowballed from there in terms of referrals were great. And they're great in the beginning, but they're just not sustainable because they could dry up at any point. So you need to build another kind of pipelines, but got a lot of referrals from people I've previously worked with. And then, yeah, the growth just kind of went from there. Not that it's, it sounds easy, but it's really not. It's not that easy, is it? No. <laughs> it, it does sound easy when you hear it back and you go... But then, you know, you've got to drop in the sometimes 70, 80 hours a week that you maybe haven't got much of a social life. Or if you have got a social life, you work hard, you play hard, you burn out. It's all of those things, isn't it? Because you're working in the business, 
you're working on the business, you're working for the business, you're working for the future, but you can't take your eye off the ball today. Absolutely. I think those holidays that you once used to go on, they disappear. Like you say, you know, you work every hour that you're given because it's really down to you at that point until you obviously bring on staff. And that's a challenge in itself. You could talk about that kind of all day. One of my kind of almost like breakthroughs was we got onto the NatWest Entrepreneur Accelerator and they were great in terms of having a coach where they sit down and they work with you to just determine how much time you're actually spending on everything. So they literally make a list. You know, you're spending 100% on all these different things. And then they work out what do you actually want to be doing or how can the business benefit by you taking away this and maybe hiring someone, bringing it on board. And that really helped because you do, like you say, work in the business and on the business, whereas you should, as a, an owner, event, depending on your business model, but eventually start to just be working on the business and not in it. So that was trying to find that shift. And sometimes those conversations need to happen within the business, with the team, so that culture is nurtured so that everybody feels a responsibility and are invested in the business. But you do also need sometimes conversations outside of the business, don't you, to sort of say, hang on a minute, I've got a bit of experience and, and I can see this is happening. Have you thought about this? And it's just drawing on other people's experience, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That, that experience and the willingness to take the you know, criticism, constructive criticism, take feedback, look at every option available and that feeling inside. I mean, I still get it now, but I'm, I feel like I'm six years down the line. I feel better. That feeling in your stomach when you're not comfortable doing something, but you know it's going to be for the best or making those difficult decisions, whether that's to hire you know, or let staff go if they're not performing well or it's just not the right fit because at the very beginning of the business, you kind of need somebody in there. You can kind of do everything and then ideally you need experts, but then that comes with cost and everything else. If, say, for example, you've built a relationship with a client and you've been going to see them every day, but then your company starts to grow and then you're needed in other areas, how do you speak to the client and say, It's handing that over, isn't it? Now. Handing it over to somebody yeah. else, yeah. It's an awkward situation for them and for you because if you have that feeling inside your stomach where you don't want to let them down or you don't want to be seen to be, you know, leaving them. Expectations um, are everything, aren't they? You know, when you... Because it's that saying of you you promise to deliver, you always promise to under-deliver and overperform. That's where you always want to be. If you're overperforming and that's take eating your time away and it means that you can't grow your business because there's not really much more you can do by being there, but they get used to you being there. How do you extricate yourself from that situation without hurting anybody's feelings? Because it's an emotional attachment as opposed to a, a financial decision isn't it seeing that seeing the separation of that plus it's also building that trust so you bring in somebody who you say to a client you know this is the person i trust to look after you i know we will still have you know some sort of relationship i might not be there every day but i personally trust this person and they've obviously got to build their relationship with them but yeah that that trust building is is very important What I love about the story so far is that you started your business cold calling, which is kind of my bag. (laughs) So I have to ask, who does it for you now? Uh, That's a good point. Interestingly, we don't do any, um, and this might sound crazy, we kind of don't do any advertising ourselves, which, yeah, does sound a little crazy. We have 
lots of different things. So we do create content, especially on LinkedIn, you know, from personal brand point of view, we create content in terms of our own podcast blogs. We want our blogs to be informative and educational. So with the social media industry changing so much, you know, every single day, something new comes out. We want to be almost like a resource so that if people, you know, a small business owner or entrepreneur wants to know the latest feature on Instagram, for example, they can come to our website and you can feel safe in that they're, they're going to find that information. It's easy to read, you know, it's in a format they understand and that sort of thing. But yeah, apart from that, we don't actually do any advertising, which is really nice. And I think it's nice to be able to have built a company where we went from like cold calling to now kind of more about the brand so that people have seen us and heard of us and are coming to us. It's taken six years, but we're in that position now, which is which is really nice. But I would imagine... Nobody's sending out LinkedIn messages or yeah. anything like that. It just doesn't happen. But I imagine that it's changed because I don't want people having the wrong impression because paid advertising is different to content, I think. And content can drive yes. that lead generation without it feeling like you're being a salesperson. And it can turn it from an outbound outreach to an inbound inquiry. And that's really yeah. what the content is driving so that you're kind of using social media platform and your connections to to warm up that prospect pot. And it's something that I've been sharing with clients for about 12 years is, you know, how do you take your online connections into a real conversation in the real world? And I think yeah. it, that's what's wonderful. And in some instances, cold calling still works. Otherwise, I'd be out of a job. Oh, yeah, 100% it does. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So it does work in some instances, but that is the beauty of building the brand, isn't it? And being being as as open and as honest and sharing as much as you can in your online conversations. So you've done that for yourself as an agency. How many of you are there that are in the Republic now, Rob? Last time I looked, which is last week, we've got over 500 now coming up to 600 and last year it was 400 coming up to 500 so yeah just over 500 now that's awesome (laughs) yeah luckily I don't have to look after them all which is nice well well you do Um, but you don't actually look after them you don't sort of go around giving them breakfast dinner and tea (laughs) that'd be very nice but I probably won't have yeah a lot of time but it was interesting what you said about obviously cold calling still existing and lots of other methods of communicating and, and advertising. What we found is that obviously our business is different to lots of different businesses. You know, we're in the social media industry. Our targets are, you know, people we want to work with ideally are marketing managers or marketing directors. We've in our previous lives been marketing managers ourselves for brands. And we always like to think, and we were in those positions, what made our lives easier? And that's the kind of approach we have to advertising and marketing now is what can we provide to make a marketing manager's life a lot easier. And is that a piece of content about a latest feature? Is it a guide? Something like that. So they read that and they think, oh, this I found this really useful. And then hopefully when they do need us, they come to us. Yeah. So with, with all the content that you create for your own agency, because you've got a beast to feed now with that many yes. people within the organization. So that's a mammoth task in itself. I've got to ask this. So in terms of clients, because you're creating content, so you're creating conversations for them, is there one piece of content or a campaign that you've worked on to create conversations that's been your favourite? And if so, what was it and why? That is a very, very good question. 
I'd have to say, and no offence to anybody else who I've not mentioned, <laughs> uh, I loved everyone, of course. They're um, all our favourites. They're all our favourites. All our favourites. <laughs> I think the work we do for charitable organisations will always have, you know, a big place in my heart. It's something I'm looking to do, you know, once you know, I potentially leave Social Republic um, one day, you know, who knows what will happen. But we work very closely with British Red Cross, we're very fortunate, again, to have a referral from somebody who was doing some other kind of digital work for them and then they introduced us to the team. And it takes a long time to, because of the size of that organisation, you know, I'm talking thousands and thousands of staff, uh, lots of different departments, huge pressure to get things right from a content communications point of view, simply because of the amount of eyeballs that are on that organisation on social media. Uh, the media as well so they've be, really got to be careful it has to be bob on doesn't it yeah and i think that's obviously adds pressure but i think it's a, it's a good pressure and we've done it in the past so we explain to them you know you're in safe hands these are the things that we've done and we built lots of projects for them one of them was kind of around revolutionizing how they manage community engagement so it basically saved their staff time money obviously uh, and resources as well so they had a, a platform that was made it easier for them to interact with with users on social media. But I think the the one that I'm probably the most proud of is we created the world's first quiz bot for first aid. And basically what that was, was, or is, because it's been relaunched for for another campaign this year, it's a chat bot within Facebook that allows parents to teach their children first aid. Now, there is a disclaimer. They don't get a qualification. They're not qualified in, in first aid. So if anyone uses it, you are not technically qualified in first aid. But It's awareness, it allows... isn't it? We, we all need awareness on the right and wrong things to do because that's the sort of thing that old wives' tales get passed down and they're not yeah. necessarily going to be something that will save your life. It's interesting that you mention that because there's a lot of those examples within the chat box in terms of the, the content. So making sure that people realize that it is an old wives tale. So the biggest one is nosebleeds. What do you do? Do you hold it your head back? Do you hold it forward? Do you do something else? Do you blow your nose? All this sort of thing. So it's a very simple way of a parent sitting down with a child. And obviously all children now are used to devices. So it's not like reading a book. Now kids are really like, oh, we're know, educating the book, parents sort of as opposed to the children, aren't we? Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good excuse, you know, to, to sit down on, on Facebook where, the, you know, they might just be normally just scrolling through the feed, you know, looking at pictures of their friends, babies or cats or whatever it might be, where they can actually sit down with the children and they can actually learn skills in under a minute. And that was the aim. Every skill can be learned in under a minute. And so basically you, you go onto the, the quiz bar, you would select a topic to learn first. So either burns or, you know, nosebleeds, select nosebleeds. And then you go through a series of questions and you kind of, no matter what you answered, whether you answered correctly or incorrectly, you always learn the correct technique. And then it takes you on a path so that you always complete the whole quiz, I guess. But you can come back at any point as well and kind of finish it off. Say if you, you know, someone's made you dinner and then you have your dinner, you, you, you come back. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And, and I guess there's lots of mileage for lots of other topics as well. Listeners are going to have to send us some ideas on different topics because it is that excuse to sit down with your kids to do something together, isn't it, that they want to do. That's not necessarily what we as children did at our age with our parents. Yeah, absolutely. It's something 
we were just discussing exactly the same thing after we'd launched it. We, just, we said to each other, you know, imagine the capabilities you could have with this. You know, you could have almost like a bedtime. I remember when I was a kid and my mum used to read me these stories where I could choose what happened next. And, you know, it was fantastic. And you could do the same, same sort of thing. So you could have a story, but they chose, you know, the next kind of action where they go to the, the blue door or the red door, or you could learn lots of different things through the chatbot. So there's lots of ways for people. And if, obviously, if they want to get in touch with you or get in touch with me as well, people can do this themselves. The level of complexity with the Red Cross projects obviously required a team. But yeah, there are platforms out there the way you can literally you, you build your own for your own business. And it might not be a quiz, but it could just literally be pointing people in the right direction. If, say, for example, you know that the majority of your website visitors either go to your podcast section or your blog, you could point them in that direction straight away or you could ask them a question. Or something I like do that. declare. So very easy. I have one on my Facebook page, I think. Yeah, there you yeah, go. I kind of went, yes to that, easy. yes to that. Yes, I understand all of that. Now you go and do it, please. Because it's, yeah. it's the building of things. And that's why we need other people, isn't it? Is that, you know, yeah. you can understand what you want to achieve but getting there needs somebody who knows how to do it so that it can come to you. Yeah. If, um, I don't know if, it, if you're a big fan of Homeland or anyone who's has seen Homeland. So Carrie, she has like a, almost like a mind map on a wall and it's just full of pictures of people and different kind of links. And that's how I describe how the chatbot looks like behind the scenes. It's yes. just like lots and lots of content and lots of wires going in between. And as you zoom out, you think, surely it can't get any bigger and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and yeah there's a lot but something of that size you know takes a lot of people but there are solutions that you can create that are shorter nice and, and simple you know. yeah do you want this or yeah. this it's like asking the kids what they want yeah. for dinner isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could do that through a chat bar yeah, yeah. I'm take that idea. <laughs> let me tell you about my power up program an hour and a half with me and accountability later It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block programme. Just book a chin wag. Let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. Lots and lots of conversations online. So it's a good shout for the Red Cross there. I know they do get involved in lots and lots of different types of campaigns. So it's good to hear some of the ones that we perhaps don't hear so much about because we do tend to have headline and this is where Social media can play its part in turning things viral. And I think it kind of brings us quite nicely to me, you know, asking about, you know, Social Republic and some of your journey and the leap of faith that you had, really, as well, to where you are now in six short years to say, so, Rob, what was that conversation that counted and what happened next? I guess it takes me back to not a great time. I mean, it was great for me. As a 16-year-old, you know, going to college and having that freedom. And I think this is a case of generally men or boys not growing up as quickly maybe as women, for example, in school, you know, 
the boys were a little bit childish, you know, as you get to your kind of 14, 15, 16, whereas the, the girls... Maturity isn't grow- level, is it? It's not a level playing field at all. I, I don't know if it's the same now, but when I was at school, that was just the way it was, yeah. The, the boys still hadn't grown into men, whereas the girls had become women. And I basically left school and I've also studied in America. I went to university in America, but and that's kind of where I fell in love with social media. But over there, obviously, they leave school at 18. and I'm a big fan of potentially that happening here. I feel like, especially for boys, leaving school at 16 is very young. It was for me. Maybe I was a little bit more childish than everyone else. I'm not sure. But We're all in such a hurry to grow up, aren't we, when we yeah. are that age, that we think that we know everything and we can conquer the world. Yet in actual fact, it's probably not until we hit about 30 do we really understand the nature of life. Yeah, I agree. And once you hit that 30, you want to stop growing up. <laughs> yes, I am still 30. <laughs> yeah. Like Peter Pan. <laughs> and Wendy. Wendy, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and my parents, looking back now, hindsight, you know, is an incredible thing. At the time, I thought these are the strictest parents in the world. And, you know, every teenager like that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, now I think, God, I must have been a nightmare. and they did 100% the right thing. So they said to me, basically, if I didn't pass my GCSEs, there's a potential for me having to go into the army because they knew I needed that structure and discipline. So I got through my GCSEs by the skin of my teeth just so I didn't have to go in the army. I didn't like cleaning my shoes anyway. So the thought of going into the army and having to polish them so you could see your face in them was a nightmare to me. So I got through that and went to college because I, I actually wanted to study law and that's what I went to college to do. I have no idea why, but I got to college and I just kind of, I lost my head a little bit because I had so much freedom and I just kind of escaped, you know, not going into the army and that sort of thing. And I was awful at cutting my first year at college and it actually turned out to be the best thing I ever did uh, in a weird kind of way. I ended up failing my first year at college, which is quite unknown and quite unheard of because it is not that difficult to pass. There are lots of people out there that do fail the first year. Obviously, very embarrassing at the time. And I'll never forget that moment where I went to collect my results. And I just kind of was left it off and I thought, oh, I'll get through with a C. And when you start seeing Fs, it's really bad. <laughs> like, really, really bad. And then I remember that sinking feeling, thinking, I've got to walk home now and go and see my mum and dad. Do you think and it was, was like, self-sabotaging? Oh, yeah, probably 100%. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah, probably. But yeah, that that feeling of having to go home, knowing that it's funny with parents because you don't care when they're angry at you, but the worst thing is if they're disappointed. That feeling is a lot worse. Yeah, my my (laughs) husband always says to me, he's he's another Rob. So Rob says to me, you know your mom is off the Richter scale because she's been too quiet. Too quiet, yeah. That's a you can blow up and you can be angry and you can throw this and that at them to try and like get them to to sit up and listen. But it's when you really don't have the words because you are so disappointed that 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 silence is unbearable. How how did you cope? I can't actually remember what the punishment was. I can't imagine it being pretty, but <laughs> maybe it was just so so much disappointment that made it even worse. And it wasn't like go to your room or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what you could do at 16, but I was stuck between thinking, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just kind of do the next year. I'll just start again. I need the half thinking it, it was kind of the end of the world and I was going to be in a lot of trouble, which I was. 
but then that kind of led to the the conversation which kind of changed everything I guess I would say it's quite a, a pivotal moment I think the most frustrating thing was that I knew I could do the work My parents knew the teachers probably knew I was exactly the same in primary school exactly the same in high school because I knew I could do the work I'd just kind of you know mess around a little bit you know try and distract somebody else who's next to me or you know mess around with pencils or pens or whatever you know things that you do at school fully knowing that I could just back myself up by probably actually getting through the work and, and doing it you know maybe I relaxed too much I think thinking oh I won't revise I'll get to the the end and it'll be okay but you know college is a big step up from school if you actually you know sit down and do the work properly it's okay but it is a huge step up you know from an education point of view I remember history was our you know me and my friends our favorite subjects at high school and I had friends who ended up going on to do history at college and they just said it was like a world apart you know it was so complex and difficult comparison to to GCSEs so yeah I obviously had this disappointment in myself and obviously my family you know because I've got great parents and can't complain at all about them they, they were great I think they just had a bit of a compared to my brother you know they had a lot on the hands with, with me unfortunately so the conversation was basically I was invited to go and speak to the head of the year at college uh, who was also one of my teachers and uh, taught IT funnily enough since then I've actually met him and I did a talk to the college and his daughter was in that talk which you know is a, a weird kind of turnaround but he basically said this conversation was with my parents and it was basically down to him whether I carried on. So, so I had to obviously restart college, start from kind of scratch, which is embarrassing when you're a year older and it's like, what are you doing here? And it's like, well, I failed my first year. He kind of, I guess, saw something in me, but so maybe saw a little bit of potential, kind of maybe saw my parents and thought, you know what, he's not a bad kid and um, he can do the work. And I think he felt sorry for my parents as well. There was also a little bit of anger aimed towards me, obviously from him and from my parents, you know, like, why are you doing this? You know, you don't have to mess around. You can, you can do the work. And he said, like, what is your other option? What else are you going to do? Because you don't want to do like things like your brother do, you know, you don't want to go in the army. If you left the education system, what would you actually do? And then thinking right now, is I, I don't even know what I would have done because I knew that, you know, something like law or business, you know, is definitely my kind of calling. And for some reason, I had everything all kind of mapped out in my head. So by the time I'm 20, I'm going to do this and 25 and 30. I'm a little bit behind that schedule, but <laughs> I don't know why I kind of self-sabotage anyway in the first place. Maybe I just thought I kind of I could do it, so I'd just do it. But, uh... People with natural ability often do. I'm guilty of it. There'll be, there'll be people listening going, yes, and we know when. <laughs> it's all right. Keep that to yourself. But there's got to be something that comes from that natural ability and, and get into kind of a place where you kind of go, oh, I know I can do it. But the knowing you can do it and the doing the doing is a different thing, isn't it? So what did you take away from that? Because there's always a teacher that will back you. And, and even having like one of your favourite teachers disappointed in you. It's like having silence in stereo, isn't it? It's like my mom, you know, my teacher's over here and you're going, oh, no. So what did that teach you that you've brought through into running a company and because effectively as a leader of a company you are the teacher your headmaster aren't you how do you translate that to the people in your team when you can see that natural ability and then not really fulfilling it 
I still am struggling. Well, I've got better over the years is seeing myself as that headmaster because I kind of want to be kind of in the trench. I still like to feel like I'm in the trenches with people and not sat back in kind of ivory tower and yeah. you know just telling people what to do. I, I want to be with people and leading with them kind of next from to the me, front. if that makes sense. Yeah. But then at times you do have to kind of realise that you are the one who also make, makes the, the bigger decisions. So you have to kind of distinguish between, between the two. If anyone follows me on LinkedIn, obviously my content is very informal and it shows off my personality. And I see a lot of content around failure. It takes me a lot not to comment on them <laughs> just because I'm very different in terms of the way I look at failure. And obviously having lived in America, you know, advocates of, they love failing. They, if you haven't failed in America, you haven't made it sort of thing. They want to see stories of, you know, you've had 20 businesses and they've all you know, gone bankrupt. Then you, now you've made it. They love that kind of zero to hero story. Whereas I think in Britain, we're a little bit more reserved and we don't want to show people that we've failed. I think that that's changing a little bit now in terms of the way that entrepreneurs are. And maybe it's because a younger generation are coming through. I think it's um, risk taking. We're not necessarily the risk takers that the Americans are. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Slow and sure and steady or win the day. Yeah. Confidence as well. You know, it's a different world, uh, I'd say, in the States. And I see a lot of posts about failure and don't be afraid to fail. Whereas I kind of am the opposite. I'm like, you should be afraid to fail. But it gives you a reason to make sure that you don't make mistakes. I, I'm not saying that if you fail, then it's the worst thing in the world, because that obviously I did at this point. It's about learning from it. And from me, my point of view is, to make sure it doesn't happen again. I don't see why people should embrace failure. I think if you, if you do have failure, and everybody doesn't, you know, every day of your life, you know, nothing ever works the first time. For me, and the way I see it with staff is learning from it so it doesn't happen again. Take the energy of the failing and how it makes you feel and turn that into some kind of laser focus to be better. Yeah. Not joined up thinking, is it? It's like embrace the failure. Well, then are you just going to be miserable? Are you, yeah. What are you going to do? Are you going to just stay miserable? Or are you going to just go, well, I'm, you know, I'm upset and I'm disappointed in myself. I think you've got to take that silence to yourself and go, well, I don't want to be sitting in this silence. And I, I, what did I learn? What were the things that I could have done better? What will I do next yeah. time differently? Who should I have brought in? Who should I have spoken to? It, with staff, my kind of approach is if something goes wrong, someone fails, whatever it may be, then my advice is don't worry about it. Let's move on. Don't worry about it. You know, let's learn from it. If I've been in that situation and I've experienced it, then obviously I can give advice. But if not, then I'm on hand to kind of help them find a solution. So literally, yeah, if, you know, if something's gone wrong, don't worry about it. Kind of just let's move on. Let's improve. I get lots of inquiries from people, young entrepreneurs, which is really, really nice to see. I wish I had the time to get through them all. but you know, asking for advice on setting up a business. Sometimes, you know, I'm also setting up a social media agency, like a rival company. You think, should I be giving out advice? But then I think, well, what, you know, it doesn't matter to me. So I would give advice to, to anybody, especially if you've worked in the industry. Nate Schooler, he's been on the show a couple of times, once as a guest and once as a host for me. One of the tips that he shared with me that I'll share with you now was that if he's getting asked a question from entrepreneurs or you know what to do and how to do it he blogs it yes and and that's it that it's content because then he knows if one person's asking so many more will be asking the same question or a similar question so you can take that one question and 
and turn it into a piece. We call that the becoming the Wikipedia of your industry. It's very, I don't know if it's famous, but there's a story that I got told about a company in America that made swim pools, so outdoor swim pools. Yeah, Marcus Sheridan. Is that his name? Marcus Sheridan. They ask you answer. Yeah, that's the one. They were like, oh, we're not getting any leads through. We're not getting any business. And they spoke to you know, an SEO content expert years ago and said, you know, how can we improve you know, the number of inbound inquiries that we're getting? And they basically advised them to become the Wikipedia of their industry. And they said, how many questions do you get asked? And he said, I don't know, four or 500 questions. And they said, well, every one of those questions should be blocked. So that no matter what people search for on Google, you've answered that question. And they just absolutely nailed it. And it does work. And that's, what, I guess, what we're doing as well. And he's got an agency that is running as well, isn't he? He's not just the poor guy. So he's got his own. Yes. So yeah. Come on, Marcus, come on the show. Come and tell me all about (laughs) it. And give us all free pills. (laughs) I want to know the difference between concrete and fiberglass. (laughs) (laughs) Look at just that one conversation that you're talking about from your college days and a failure, but you didn't go on to fail. You, you turn that into your success but that same similar scenario applies itself probably quite a lot throughout your life in different sets of circumstances uh, that, that everybody does it's kind of like a recurring theme isn't it oh absolutely i won't say there's failures but i would say there's lessons to be learned even now like every single day and i think when you first start your business you constantly learn it can be difficult sometimes to learn from things because you're doing everything within the business so you don't necessarily have a lot of time to be learning because you're then trying to do something else. But things from, you know, hiring your first member of staff or when you lose your first client, how you react and how do you build relationships from there? And there's lots of lessons. Every day is a school day. It certainly there? is. And if you think <laughs> about this that's up here, this brain of ours is this supercomputer. We have to remember that whilst it's good to be going on and growing, that sometimes we need a defrag and we need a little compromise. Yes. And we need, that's that reflection of time of what do we need? What don't we need? What can we get away with? What's interrupting the program? I could carry on chatting to you for <laughs> another few hours, which is always wonderful with all my guests that come on. Good. Thank you so much for coming and sharing that conversation with us and what you do and how you help. In terms of listeners, we always want the conversation to carry on after the show as well. Where's the best place for them to find you? LinkedIn, 100%. Nailed it. Just get me on LinkedIn. You know, one day somebody will say, Instagram, and shock (laughs) me. (laughs) (laughs) It's been an absolute blast. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. And there you have great conversation between me and Rob. And I loved the way that he literally quit his job and cold called his way to forming Social Republic. Do carry on the conversation with Rob and his team after listening. Head over to our website, all the W's, makingconversationscount.com to have a look at what treats we've got in store for you. Until next time... Celebration is a very important part of success. So, you know, you, if you don't celebrate it, you don't get more of it. If you're not grateful for what you've got, don't expect more.